All right, we are in week three of nothing but net. And uh, I am digging the whiteboard. And so hopefully you can read what I'm writing. Nothing but net, which for the record, I think this might be uh, the best tournament in a long time. I I'm just loving this March Madness tournament. Yeah, it's amazing. Today we are going to hang out in John chapter 21, a lot of verses, verses 1 through 19, lots to cover. In addition to that, we are going to talk about one, skinny dipping. Can I get an amen? You never know if you're allowed to say amen to something like that. Uh, listen, for those of you who have children under the age of 13 in the room today, no, I also have children under the age of 13. Uh, you can take a deep breath. This is going to be appropriate. You don't have to worry about this. In addition to that, we're going to talk about s'mores. Any fans of s'mores? Yeah. Gotta love a good bonfire. In addition to that, we're going to talk about fraternal twins. You guys are like, what are we talking about? And lastly, we are going to talk about bromance. Anyone got some bromance in your life? You got that one buddy who you, you maybe make a little too much eye contact with and... He's like, hey, man, I just want you to know I love you, right? We are going to talk about some bromance. Now, as we jump into this, uh, I got to tell you a story. People sometimes are curious as to uh, how Kristen and I met, and uh, it actually centered around the game of basketball. Uh, I give my life to Christ at the age of 19. I was raised in the Christian home, raised by wonderful parents, uh, but there is just a faultiness to my nature that I had to work some things out. Uh, things that can't be assigned to my parents and their parenting, just assigned to me being human and learning how I was gonna approach life. And so I, I give my life to Christ at the age of 19 and I decide to, to transfer schools also I could uh, go to school where I could not only pursue my degree and play ball, but also where I could uh, develop this faith that I've now anchored my life to. And so I transfer uh, to this private school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I, I, I remember when we got there, it just so happened to be my, my dad's alma mater. And so we get there, we're about to meet with the athletic director. And my dad and I are in the gym, the athletic director is meeting with somebody else. And so him and I start, start shooting around, which is a real special moment. My dad was the, the leading scorer in our university's history. My dad could flat out play. And here we are sitting in a gym that he played his entire college career in, and now I'm about to start mine. It's, it's a very cool moment. And we're playing, and this individual who was uh, meeting with the athletic director comes walking out of the office area and through the gym. And I shoot the ball, and I get all rim, total brick. And the ball bounces over in the direction of this girl who picks up the ball and tosses it back. And my dad, uh, he just kind of has this, almost this, this prophetic side to him. I know that weirds some folks out, and quite honestly, it weirds me out sometimes too, but my dad hears from the Lord, and I, I just think that's awesome that he does. He has this holy intuition. And so the ball rolls over to this girl, she picks it up, and she tosses it back, and she walks out the gym. And my dad says, son, you need to go talk to her. That, that might be your wife. And uh, which I was like, dad, this is, I'm transferring from a state school to a private school. I don't think that's allowed here. And you need to kind of dial it back a little bit. Uh, what's interesting and funny, though, is, is that girl just so happened to be Kristen. 
Uh, I love that. Uh, and so our, our relationship would develop gradually through the game of basketball. Uh, back then, the, the boys and girls team, they, they traveled together for games. And one time we had a, a game in Iowa. My parents were at the time living in Colorado, and so they drove over to Iowa for the game. Us guys were out to dinner, and we come back to the hotel where the girls were all gathered in the lobby. There was this Pac-Man machine in the lobby, which, show of hands, if Pac-Man's in your top five. Yeah, it's a classic. Love Pac-Man. So we come in, and all the girls are in the lobby, and they're playing Pac-Man, and in the center of the chaos and all the noise is my dad taking them all on playing Pac-Man. And he sees us come walking in and he stands to his feet and he pauses the game. He's like, ladies, I'll be right back. And uh, he comes over to me and he says, son, I'm telling you, that girl over there with the dark hair, that is your wife. Uh, Which I was resistant to the idea because Kristen and I at the time are like oil and water. I I transfer in and guys, I am thuggish, ruggish, G'd up from the feet up. I I mean, the whole thing. And I am standing out like a sore thumb in this very preppy, put together, well put together private school. And so I come in arrogant, rough around the edges, clumsy in my faith. And Kristen at the time is like the poster child of the university. She plays three sports. She's all American in two. She's dominating and she's an upperclassman. So I come in as a, you know, a sophomore. She's a senior. And so she's a bit of a cradle robber, folks. She went for a younger man. <laughs> and, and I'm arrogant, and, and she was stuck up. We just got a call like it is. She, <laughs> she was a little snobby. And so we, we just did not, we did not click right away. Eventually, we had a game also in, in Philadelphia, and our teams went and toured like the Liberty Bell and got cheesesteaks and did that whole deal. And it was on that trip while playing cribbage on the bus uh, that Kristen and I started, started dating. And the, the rest is kind of history. But I, I love, what I love about our story is I, I bumped into Kristen off a miss. Uh, that's, that's probably one of my favorite details when I go back in, in this moment where I met, without a doubt, the most impactful person in my life second to Jesus, no one who I'd give my life to, my heart to, I'm just obsessed with this woman. Um, I met her off a miss. And I love that detail of our story. And, and I want you to hold that thought as we jump into scripture. Maybe, uh, maybe you can discover something beautiful coming off of a miss. I know I certainly did. And I know Peter, who we're gonna look at in scripture, also did as well. John chapter 21 is, is such an interesting passage. And if you have your Bibles, uh, you should open up to it. It is coming on the tail end of the most dramatic week in human history. The the week that we know as Holy Week, the betrayal, the denials, the the crucifixion, the beating, the, uh, I mean, just the corruption of the religious institution and the government of the day and, and all the things at play. It's a very dramatic week. And then to make matters worse, or make matters even more dramatic, uh, Jesus then shows up, comes back to life after 72 hours, which is insane. And so all this is happening, and tucked in it all is Peter, and he's, he's coming up short. 
So when Judas comes to betray Jesus, Peter initially pulls out a knife and cuts a guy's ear off. And it's like, all right, Peter, that's not what we're doing. And then they're dragging Jesus away and he goes from like this maniac madman to like a coward to where suddenly he can't even acknowledge or admit that he was one of Jesus' disciples. There comes this point where Jesus even predicted. He said, look, Peter, uh, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter's like, absolutely not, not happening. And he does. In fact, the third time he is standing at this fire and a teenage girl says, hey, I think this is one of his disciples. And Peter denies Jesus for the third time. And and looking over the fire, it says that Jesus looks back as the rooster crows and makes eye contact with Peter. It's a really low moment for him. So much so, Peter doesn't even have the courage to then show up to the cross and see Jesus crucified. Well, shout out to the ladies. They were the ones who were courageous to show up. The men went and hit. And so verse uh, verse one of chapter 21 says, after this, after all this drama, after this really wild um, change of events, here comes this next moment. It says, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. It's, it's kind of like a preface. John is writing this. He's like, man, we're, just, we're coming off the most dramatic week in human history, and it's exhilarating, and I'm, I, just, I need you to know what we're coming off off of so you can understand why we were all perplexed by what happens next. You ever had someone give you a preface? Ever just find the need to preface something before you go on with your story? Like I find the need to give prefaces all the time, especially in this season when people interact or meet my parents for the first time. My parents are nuts. I love them to death. And they spent their whole life uh, in the city and now they've spent the last like seven to 10 years in the backwoods of Wisconsin. And they're in this really small town and there are days that they see more deer than humans. And they're just in the sticks. And so sometimes when they get around uh, normal folks and they come visit, it's like you can tell they haven't been around civilization in a while and they just, <laughs> um, you can just pick up on it. So sometimes I feel like I need to preface that for people. Like, hey, just so you know, they've been hanging out with wildlife. Uh, so... <laughs> Help them assimilate into the conversation. It's a preface. That's what's happening here. He's saying, hey, after all this drama, this is what Jesus did. Like, check out how he shows up. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. It's a big leadership moment right there. I'm going fishing. We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. 
That disciple whom, loved, uh, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord, which there's this funny backstory where John and Peter are always in competition. They're always keeping score. And when John writes his gospel, he never refers to himself by the John. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is petty and awesome at the same time. <laughs> he says, look, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. With fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. We'll come back to the rest here in a second. This is, this is a comical story to me. Jesus just has this really exhilarating, daunting, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, mesmerizing week. I mean, it's all the things. And then he just casually shows up on the beach for breakfast. It's like, Jesus, like... After everything that's happened, you just can't show up like this. Like the disciples aren't ready for it. And I think they're saying, Jesus, moving forward after everything that's happened, uh, we need a little bit more of a heads up. And it makes me think when I first started dating and Kristen, I, I now look back and I'm amazed by how casual and even careless I was before Kristen and I started dating. I gave no thought to what I looked like, sounded like, acted like, smelt like, anything when I was around Kristen. And then the moment we started dating and I started falling in love with her, suddenly it was like, hey, I, I now need time <laughs> to get ready to hang out with you. I need five squirts of cologne, some extra deodorant. I'm taking two showers a day, brushing my teeth three times a day. I am staying ready for this woman. And, uh, and so I, I think the disciples, they're, they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking, hey, like, this seems so strange that you would show up in this manner. Uh, they're, not, they're not ready for it. And it says that they're at a distance. They recognize that it's Jesus. And Peter jumps in the water. He just jumps in. He's like, well, that's Jesus. I, I just, I have to get to Jesus. And, and I just wonder how many of you, you, you showed up and maybe your mentality, despite what campus you're at, it's, I just, I have to get to Jesus. You ever had that mentality? You're having a tough week, you're going through something in life and it's just like, I don't know where to go or what to do. I just know I have to get to Jesus. And, and that's Peter. I just have to get to Jesus. So much so, what he does next doesn't seem to make sense. See, in this day, they would have been fishing in the nude. Now, for someone to be naked fishing among us would be, highly offensive and you know we would have to 
deal with that, right? But in this day, that was very common. They didn't have undergarments the way we do and know of. And, and there was nakedness was kind of more of a, a common theme, especially uh, for fishermen. The less garments, the less you had to get entangled with nets and all the different things. And so they would strip themselves. And so Peter sees this Jesus and he's like, I, I just have to get to Jesus. And what he does is he throws on his outer cloak, which would have been a, like a big bathrobe which doesn't make sense. He would have been better off skinny dipping if he wanted to swim to shore. And how far off are they? A hundred yards. I mean, come on, show of hands, if you have to swim a hundred yards in a bathrobe, anyone else you're drowning? Like I am drowning in that attempt. I sometimes wonder if Peter just threw on his cloak and he jumped into the water. And I wonder if the boat beat him to shore. I just wonder if they were paddling by. I'm like, Peter, are you sure you don't want to get back in here? A hundred yards, that's a long swim. I, I don't know. I, I think the boat may have beat him. But Peter had this mentality. I just, I have to get to Jesus, but first I have to cover myself up. Is there anywhere else in scripture that you see someone who's naked covering themselves up? Yeah, of course you do. It's in the book of Genesis. In the garden, after the fall, right? Sin enters the world and suddenly, you know, Adam and Eve are aware of their nakedness and they take on all this shame. And so what do they do in their shame? They cover themselves up. We don't want God to see us like this. And so here you find Peter in a very similar fashion saying, I am ashamed of what I have done over the past week. I don't want Jesus to see me like this. I wanna get to Jesus. I just, I can't have him see me as I am, which the good news is, is he already knows. He already is aware of our brokenness. He's already aware of our shortcomings. Jesus is already aware of what Peter did. And Jesus is already aware of what Jesus did in response. Jesus went to the cross and on the cross he said, it is finished. Peter, if you would have showed up to the cross, you would have heard me say that. And so Peter shows up and he's, he's covered in shame. And I get the feeling every time we gather week after week, many of you, you just show up bound in shame. Now, I have to get to Jesus. Uh, I just don't want him to see me as I am. But here's the beauty, and this is one thing I, I say often, and that is this, the one who knows you the best loves you the most. Oh, church, that is a truth that you have to have in your, your toolkit. I, I mean, say that with me. Say, the one who knows me the best loves me the most. Come on, at all of our campuses, fishers, as loud as you can. The one who knows me the best, yeah, loves me the most. All right, now the Kokomo campus, everybody together. The one who knows me the best, yeah, loves me the most. You, you gotta be able to say it. You gotta be able to declare that over your life. You gotta get past playing it cute and playing it safe in your faith and you have to de declare boldly, no, wait a second. I'm a human and I'm imperfect, but my God loves me and he came for me and he died a, a vicious death on behalf of me and he resurrected from the grave all to provide me with eternal security. The one who knows me the best, he loves me the most. 
And Peter shows up covered in shame. And, and some of you, I, I pray that you will discover a Jesus who shows up to get shame off of people, not to place shame onto people. I mean, that's what Jesus is doing in the life of Peter. He's like, hey, we, we gotta deal with this issue of shame because this is gonna trip you up. And some of you, there's an issue of shame in your life that you just have to surrender it to the Lord. And it's just saying, hey, his grace is sufficient. And I can come to him just as I am, amen? And so there's no need to hide or cover up when it comes to this Jesus. And then Peter, he comes ashore, and what is Jesus standing in front of? A fire. In fact, Scripture is clear, it's a certain kind of fire. In fact, we, we really only see this fire in one other place. So Jesus is standing in front of the fire. Where else do we see a fire like this? Days before. It's the same kind of fire Peter was standing at when he denied Jesus. This is amazing. And here Peter comes ashore and Jesus recreates this moment. He recreates the moment. Hey, last time you and I locked eyes, you were standing in front of a fire denying me. We're gonna go back to that moment because Peter, you now think you're disqualified. You now think my calling upon your life is void. You now think I'm done with you and you're out of the group. So much so, you have returned to a former way of life. Peter, when I found you, you were just fishing. And now that you've come up short, you're returning to a former way of life. And Jesus shows up, he's like, I'm here to set the record straight. We are not doing that. No, we're not turning back. We are not doing that. And I just wonder how many of you, you're, you're so focused on your shortcomings. You're, you're, you're so hard on yourself that you're constantly you know, hammering yourself where you're assuming that God's mad at you and God wants nothing to do with you. And you, like Peter, are contemplating returning to a former way of life. Hey, I tried to be a disciple. I tried to follow Jesus. I tried to do this faith thing, but I just keep coming up short. I can't get it right. I don't know all the Bible verses. I have sporadic church attendance. I still do things to let down my spouse. I still come up short as a parent. I still could be better in my career. I still feel like I'm failing. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe I should just return to what I was doing before this. And the same way Jesus shows up and says, yeah, we are not doing that. I feel like he would show up and say the same to you. With the towel in hand, contemplating throwing it in, I think Jesus would show up and say, hey, knock it off. I did not go and die on a cross and conquer death, hell, and the grave. Also, you can doubt my grace and assume it's cheap. No, my grace is unlimited and unconditional. And you have to lean into this. And I think what Jesus is trying to get across to Peter, yes, Peter, you've made mistakes, but standing at the fire, I think Jesus is looking across to Peter saying, Peter, I have s'more in store for you. 
yeah, you didn't even see it coming. I have some more in store for you. And, and some of you, God has more in store for you. It's super corny, but you're not gonna forget it. You're gonna be like, why did he do that? But you're gonna remember it. And, and I think sometimes we, you know, I don't think it's that God doesn't have grace for us. I think it's sometimes we don't have grace for ourselves. And some of you, you just need to surrender that to the Lord and accept, hey, he, he has more in store for you. And, you know, I think there's a couple ways you can look at this. You know, Peter, you know, if you put it on the spectrum of life, you know, you have your past, you have your present, and you have your future. And what Peter is doing is Peter is interpreting his present through the filter of his past. So he's standing before Jesus and he's thinking, clearly you don't love me. Clearly you're not gonna want anything to do with me. You're not gonna wanna use me. I'm disqualified as a leader because of what I did a few days ago. He is interpreting his present through the filter of his past. But I think there's a different way of looking at this. You could come this way and say, no, what if... I started interpreting my past through the filter of my present. Okay, so now here I am standing at a fire with a savior who came back to life and showed up this morning to have breakfast with me, all to remind me that he loves me and he's for me and he's not done with me. Well, wait a second. What that tells me is maybe just maybe my present is greater than my past, which I think something every single one of us needs to consider is which carries more weight in your life, your memories or your dreams? Which carries more weight, your memories or your dreams? But I think if you really wanna stretch your thinking, you can start to view your past through the filter and the lens of your future, which is for those of us who are in Christ, you and I, have eternity forever in eternal harmony and perfection with our heavenly father. And so it's saying, wait a second, if I'm going to live in eternal harmony in a life of perfection, connected and in relationship with God, well, wait a second, that makes me interpret my past a lot differently. And, and I think Jesus is, is stretching his, his thinking here. He's stretching, hey, you have to look differently at your situation. In addition to that, I think we gotta talk about this idea of fraternal twins. See, as I started reading this passage, I know what some of you are thinking. Those of you who are here for week one, you're thinking, wait a second, isn't this the same passage he preached on in week one? Remember that? Where we talked about, you know, Jesus showed up and Peter and the boys hadn't caught any fish all night. And Jesus tells Peter, hey, cast your nets onto the right side and cast his nets onto the right side. And they start pulling in such a great number of fish that the nets start to sink and the boats start to break. And you think to yourself, wait a second, we're reading the same story. But what you find is these are not the same story. These are two separate situations on the bookends of Jesus's ministry. The first took place at the beginning when Jesus was calling his disciples. And now this one is taking place after the resurrection, and these would be fraternal twins, meaning they're twins and they're similar, but
but in many ways, they don't look alike. So Luke 5 and John 21 are fraternal twins. Now, if you pay attention, remember in week one, we talked about what? The nets were breaking. Remember that? But for whatever reason, in John 21, Scripture wants us to know the nets didn't break. Did you catch that detail? Hey, in this passage, the nets didn't break. In addition to that, in Luke chapter 5, the boats sank. Remember when the boats started to sink? Well, in John chapter 21, the boats don't sink. Interesting, right? In Luke chapter 5, how many fish did they catch? We don't know. Scripture tells us they pulled the nets ashore and there was a great number of fish and they left it there and they followed Jesus. They didn't count. So here, they didn't count. But in John chapter 21, how many fish? 153 fish. So now they're counting. And what you have here is spiritual maturity. What you have here is Jesus coming alongside Peter. And he's like, oh, Peter, I know you're upset. And I know you're beating yourself up for denying me three times. And that's all you're focused on. But I've gone to the lengths of creating a duplicate experience for you. I mean, how good is Jesus? Also that you can see how far you've come. Hey, when I first met you, your nets were breaking. When I first met you, your boats were sinking. And when I first met you, you didn't even think to count. But now your nets don't break and your boat still floats and you've learned to make it count. Peter, you've come a long ways. See, Peter starts following Jesus and unbeknown to him, he starts growing in stature. And some of you, you're so blind to your growth. I mean, this... It's such a concerning thing to me. I have conversations with many of you and I, I, I walk away with just a heavy heart, like, oh Lord, like, how do we get them past that? Because some of you, you're just way too hard on yourself. It's, it's problematic. And you just constantly keep reinforcing all your shortcomings and, and Jesus will come alongside you and be like, yeah, of course you come up short. You're a human, you're not perfect. But can you see all the areas in which you're growing? Can you see the strength that you've developed? I love this because our God is far more concerned with the strength of our growth than he is with the speed of our growth. And so he looks and he says, Peter, you've grown. You've really grown and some of you, I guarantee you've grown more than you realize. But it's just staying rooted in this relationship. It's staying faithful and it's trusting God to do the things that we don't expect. So much so that Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you're actually ready, which is totally different than what he's assuming. Peter thinks I'm disqualified. And Jesus is showing up to say, no, you're about to just get started. And watch how this ends. Go to verse 15 with me. Verse 15, 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, which anytime you get the full name, you gotta pay attention. Anyone else had a mom who'd give you the full name? Like if she ever said CJ, it was good, but she ever said Christopher Craig Johnson. I mean, hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I'm like not even a CJ, I'm a CCJ. It's funny, I was CCing before email was a thing. <laughs> Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Yeah, he's giving him a redo, it's beautiful. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now this next part gets lengthy, but we're gonna read it. I can't unpack it all. It has to do with how they will die. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself up and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the bromance part. It's this moment where Jesus comes to Peter. He's like, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, you, you know I love you. Peter, again, do you love me? Oh, yes, you know I love you. And I think Jesus is one he is repeating the moment where, G, uh, where Peter came up short. But he's also reminding Peter, Peter, I know you love me. I just know that you're imperfect and you're gonna come up short. And so when you denied me, yeah, you denied me. It's a miss on your end, but I still know you love me. It's really brilliant what Jesus is doing. And Jesus says, but here's the deal, Peter. Will you just take care of my sheep and will you follow me? And this is wild because Peter thinks he is disqualified and he is now arriving on the scene in which Jesus pulls him aside and is telling him, you are actually becoming the point leader in a movement called the local church that is going to touch down on every continent around the world and you're gonna run point on it. I mean, this is amazing. And the question is, why does God tell us this? Why does he let us in on Peter's story? Why would he say, hey, the first leader who ever led the church, you should know how faulty and imperfect he was. I think it's because Jesus from day one didn't want anyone who were to ever step into leadership of his church to hang their hat on authority, but to hang their hat on authenticity. He said, Peter, you're gonna run point. 
Because I trust that anyone who comes in contact with you covered in shame, you'll be the first to tell them this grace is sufficient. Will you just take care of my sheep? Peter, you don't need to be perfect. I just need you to be helpful. And I think Jesus would say the same thing to to many of us. You don't have to be perfect. Just be helpful. God understands your humanity. And sometimes we are fostering shame and we are canceling ourselves. And the savior of the world is like, I'm not done with you. And my challenge to some of you is to hang in there and stay to the course because God is doing more in your life than maybe you realize. There's this fascinating detail, and I am with this. It says that Jesus has the fire going. He already has fish on the fire. So apparently he was out there doing some fishing himself and was more successful than the guys, and so he's already cooking. They come ashore, and Jesus tells them, go get some of your own fish to cook which is brilliant. I think Jesus is saying, hey, in this moment, it's really important for you to taste the fruits of your own labor. Guys, I'm convinced this is why most people don't feel blessed. Most people don't feel blessed because they never take time to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And some of you, you're hardworking and you're diligent and you're disciplined, but my goodness, go on the vacation. Spend a little extra on the next date. Like, take the time to enjoy the fruits of your labor. You're blessed and and life is beautiful. Take some time to enjoy it. And so he says, Peter, go get your own fish. To which Peter goes to the boat and there is a net of 153 fish that required all the others to pull in with boats. And look at the detail. It says, Peter goes and gets in the boat and he grabs the net of 153 fish by himself. And I wonder if everyone was looking at him like, whoa, since when did you start taking creatine? (laughs) Like, where's this strength coming from? And I think Peter probably... Didn't think much of it. What, like I just grabbed the net. But in this moment, I think Jesus is trying to show Peter, Peter, you're stronger than you think. And with my work in your life, you're more able than you realize. And some of you need to be reminded today, you are stronger than you think. Yeah, life is tough, but so are you. And with God at work in your life, you are more able than you realize. So you fight that cancer with dignity. And you stand toe to toe in the crisis within your company with bravery. And you just rise up when it comes to raising those children in a God-honoring way in a world that is constantly trying to combat your godly parenting. No, no, you're stronger than you think. Church, you're, you're stronger than you think. 
The people of God have to stop being so weak, so delicate, so passive, so timid. No, the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave resides and dwells within every single one of us. So come what may, greater is he that is within us than he that's within the world. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I'm stronger than I think. Oh, you're not gonna get it. You gotta own it, church, with some passion. Yeah, I know I'm gonna push you outside your comfort zone. But here's the thing. Life is gonna challenge you. Things are gonna run against the grain of your faith. But don't you throw in the towel. God has more in store for you. And he possibly is desiring to use you in really profound ways. Amen.